Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Another episode of Backside Ground Ball Pod. Trevor is back. It's good to see you. Today is Monday, November 14th. We'll be coming through your headphones Tuesday, November 15th. Jason Hayward is a free agent, the moment we've all been waiting for. The biggest news of the offseason has happened. The Cubs released Jason Hayward. Trev, what's going on, dude? Nothing much. I can't complain. I feel like the, the baseball season ended an eternity ago, and it's been, what, a week and a half almost? It feels like so much has happened since then, obviously. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still a little fresh off the World Series run with the with the Philadelphia Phillies, which was just iconic and historic and, and awesome to see um, them play so deep. And obviously the Astros, which, you know, I just want to spend this moment to, to kind of pay my, my dues and how we should all forgive the Houston Astros for <laughs> all the cheating that they've done and all the negatives that come along with that organization because – you know, winning again makes that much of a difference. So you, that's what that's what we'll do this off season. Just sing the praises. Yeah, to see Carlos Craig get those big hits this year in the World Series, and Carlos Beltran come off the bench with some big pinch hit opportunities, and um, you know, Mike Fires throw a really good game five, uh, and all those other guys from that 17 team come back just for the World Series to rectify their wrongdoings was awesome. Um, it was great to see Rob Manford punish them and all those things that never actually happened. Uh, we have yeah, nothing seriously. to talk about tonight because, like you said, it feels like I, I feel like baseball ended three and a half years ago because of everything that happened. I mentioned it last time on the pod, obviously, like when you weren't here. I was in Athens when it ended, and that honestly has put my like that whole weekend put my brain into such a blender because it, I, I was texting chase who i was with obviously and like last week and was like that was that real were we really there because it feels like it was almost like make-believe yeah because like to finally be down there amongst a, a bunch of dogs and just be barking at people all day um yes i was barking <laughs> at people all day anyone in orange i just barked at um <laughs> And everyone else did too. It just didn't feel real. And that has just completely put my brain in a blender. Like I, I still haven't recovered if that's possible. Yeah, well, well, before we get back to the baseball, one of the disappointments I had in the listen back, which you know, you, I told you this in text right away that, that I thought you did a really good job and it was definitely uh, kept me intrigued. Maybe that's because I'm so used to listening to you talk and, and coming yeah. up with replies, but um, I definitely enjoyed the episode is you got to give you, you should have spent five, 10 to 15 minutes on that weekend alone. Like I, I don't do understand it. how how I happily I'm trying to give you a we can happily do that. Like, if you want to ask me questions, I will I will go through the whole entire weekend. If you want to talk about it, it, it didn't listen. It, I thought about it when I was like planning the episode and when I was going to talk about. It. I was like, I could, but then I was like, I'm not going to sit alone in here and just recap what I did. I need someone to play off of do that because like, I got to be honest, I, I I'm a fan of Josh Pate. I've been a fan of Josh Pate. Sometimes him wow. playing the middle bothers me a little bit because obviously I have emotions about the subjects he talks about in college football, and, and he's just really good. So he he does a really good job of like seeing things clearly, like kind of how me and you talk about baseball. 
after doing 25 minutes last week on here alone, that much more impressed by what he does. And I don't want this to be about like, <laughs> oh, fate's the best. Like, I'm not trying to like, you know, but like seriously, ridiculously, that he does it like four times a week. Yeah. For over an I hour. Mean, I, it's hard. Baseball, I guess. Yeah, baseball is a little bit different in my opinion because I, I just feel like there's so much – like in college football, like you could spend 20 minutes on just NIL and transfer portal or, you know, like there's – I feel like there's so many more avenues to go – like it, just ways to go about it. But, you know, and it also helps when you have a, a viewership that he has. Of yes. Like you can yeah. just pull listener questions and things like that. But you're right. I mean, to be able to sit in front of a camera live on YouTube too, which I know we're we're live on YouTube too, but not the not the same capacity that he's live 150, on YouTube. Hundred and fifty thousand people, and just flow. I mean, make it look easy. That's the thing, the flow. Because job, I felt I felt like I was rambling the entire time. Like it just felt yeah. like one run on sentence. And for him to do the way he does like that, it's impressive. Anyone who does a one, I don't, I don't really listen to any other one person podcast, so that's why I used him primarily as the example. But like, I guess I listen to Dog Nation daily. But he has a guest on every like the dog, you know, yeah. the Georgia podcast I listen to has a he's a guest on every day too. So he does like he'll do like fifteen twenty in the beginning and fifteen twenty after the guest. But like to just that's a skill. It is a skill. You have to, really, it's, you have to it's, also really like to hear yourself talk, which I mean. Yeah, there, there's definitely a little bit of uh, arrogance and ego that that comes into to. play when you're when you're doing an episode when you're doing multiple episodes by yourself. But he does. I do think I do personally think he he's one of the obviously the best in in college mm-hmm. football business. I know he For plays sure. the middle um, a ton, but to be able to sit there and and do that is. And he, he's, he's very t- good at lis- listener engagement, right? Like for somebody who's there by himself, like he's very good. Like you, if you really listen to a good podcaster, a good solo guy on, on really anything is going to have you answering his questions as he speaks and, and giving, you know, whether you're in- finishing his sentences or he's saying something and you're responding with what you think or whatever, he's really good at at just grabbing your attention, getting you to, to kind of formulate a reply. And then he's continuing to kind of give his opinion for, you know, whatever it be X, Y, Z of, of talking about Ole Miss football or something like that. And, and he's really good at that. I think that's what keeps me intrigued the most with him. Well, and I think he's just really like, he's, he's built up such a network within the, throughout the sport that he's so plugged into that he just does like, he's, He's correct on a lot of things that sometimes it's like, what are you talking about? And then he's right. Um, yeah. Again, sometimes it bothers me how he's middle of the road. Like I, like I want to, I want to hear you bury Jimbo Fisher. He's not going to bury Jimbo. He did a little no, bit talking about how archaic the offense is, but he's not going to bury him when, like, after Jimbo, you know, kicks and screams like a toddler all off season, and and Texas A and M isn't even going to be bowl eligible this year. Yeah, it's um, like, but. but. <laughs> Back to back to your weekend. Um, mm-hmm. I think so. I was thinking about this before, and, and we'll get into the questions after. Mm-hmm. Just like you know, I always look, I look at the college football games that I've been to in recent memory. Right, mm-hmm. some, some solid games. Right, mm-hmm. okay games. I think you might be just like a touch of gold and luck 
because you've been <laughs> over the last two years to, I mean, close games, high, highly um, ranked teams, obviously, over the past couple weekends. And it's like, you think about that, and it's just like you don't you don't get those opportunities very often as as anybody, right? Like whether you're you're a season ticket holder, whether you go to every game, like it, those are few and far betweens. And you've literally been at like when you look back at last year, like the the finish of the Auburn Penn State game was that you know plus the environment Fantastic. was one of the best games looking back in in the country of that year, and. This one obviously was the most, probably more pre than actually during the hype and and the experience. But, you know, like just those two experiences alone. I mean, if that doesn't get you hooked on college football, I don't know what does. It's a drug. I mean, being there was a drug. It it was so, so obviously for the people who don't know, um, obviously I'm a, a, I mean, I'm a diehard Georgia football fan. They're probably my favorite team. And to some people who know me, who've known me for a long time, they probably think I'm crazy, but I can't help it. I love college football. I love Georgia. I'm not from there. I had never been there until two weeks ago, but I just, that's my team. I love them. Um, Kirby Smart has a lot to do with that, you know, ever since 2016, um, being in college and watching those first teams of him. I remember watching the Hail Mary to Jawan Jennings um, at my couch, on my couch in college, um, beating Georgia and just being like, what just happened? Um, I remember watching him come back against Mizzou that first year. I remember all the like ups and downs of his first year. Um, but I bought the tickets to this game in May because um, obviously I got married in June. My buddy Chase got married in um, the beginning of October. And so I went on in May and I texted him. I was like, because I turned him into a Georgia fan in college too. And um, – I don't know if I turned it into. He, we hung out all the time, and Georgia was always on when he on Saturdays when he was with me, and and so he became a fan as well. Um, and so it was like I texted him in May. I was like, "Hey, let's do this as wedding presents to each other, um, and a third ticket for you for the payback for the whiteout." Unfortunately, you didn't end up making it, but that's okay. That's okay. You missed out. That's on you. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm, so like I've done this. I'm and I was the like, unlucky one in this scenario. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you are. <laughs> Not only was the whiteout game I had your tickets, but you also had one for the weekend in, in Athens and didn't end up being able to make it. But anyway, so I go in and I buy them in May, and like I chose Tennessee because I was looking at their Georgia's home schedule. And just the way with divisions, how you know I can't wait for the SEC to get rid of divisions, but looking at you know how the divisions were, it was like well Tennessee's probably going to be their best home game, um, you know, because Auburn with Brian Harson things were up in the air, and obviously in May that was right around the time when the boosters were making up fake stories about him sleeping with a recruiting assistant. So like that was like, okay, I don't want to go to Auburn. I didn't want to go to a, like, I'm, if I was going to go, I wanted to go see an SEC team and I wanted to see a good game. Like it's not Vanderbilt, not Auburn. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll go to Tennessee. Tennessee had a pretty good year last year. I think they're doing good things under Hypel. And then obviously like just as the weeks went on, it was just like, whoa, this is going to be a top yeah. 10 matchup. And then as it kept going, it was like, this is going to be a top five matchup. And then, the Tuesday before I go, it's like the college football playoff committee looked down on me and was like, not only are we going to make this a top five matchup for you, we're going to make it a top three matchup and we're going to rank Tennessee one and Georgia three so that everyone in Sanford Stadium and in Athens, Georgia on Saturday is just foaming at the mouth for this game to happen. Yeah. So like just the buildup. And when I got to the airport on Friday here in Raleigh, like getting on the plane, like when we finally took off, like I was sitting there like... 
I, I've traveled with nothing. I traveled with a backpack. That was it. Like I just, cause I'm, you know, I flew out Friday evening after work and I flew home early Sunday morning. So I was pretty much there for 36 hours. And I just remember like taking off and I'm just like in, you know, my Georgia stuff. Cause basically the same stuff I was going to wear to the game the next day. Mine sands the polo that I wore because in the SEC, it means more. So you got to dress up. Um, but like, I'm just sitting there like, I'm like, I'm flying into Atlanta and like, everyone's looking at me and knows where I'm going. Like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Like, this is a big deal. And then like, as soon as we, you know, you touch down in Atlanta and Atlanta's airport is home. I've never seen anything like that. My life it was my first time in the Atlanta airport. You have to yeah, get on, I had to get on two trains America. to get to the rental car center yeah. from my game. Anyway, but like, as soon as I get off, like I was the only one on the plane in Georgia stuff. I get off and Everybody I'm one of like 6,000 in the airport in red and black. And it was just like, from that moment on, it was just like, oh, this is like, this is a big, like, this is, this is really it's a happening. big deal. This is a big deal. It is a big yeah, deal. It was, and it, it was crazy. So, so let me ask you about, so the first time I went to a Penn State game, right? I always, when I was in college and multiple years back, like I could never understood what, understand fully what tradition what history what anything like like you listen to yankee fans talk about it's just different it's just different it's just different and you're like why what are you talking about like what is just different what is different about your history the first time i went to a penn state football game was 2019 um my lovely fiance bought me tickets for an indiana game 12 o'clock kick and walking into that stadium immediately and i was a penn state fan but not as big as i am today just first off when you're walking around the stadium and you see tailgating lots and how many people are out there and you start to put into perspective that there's four entrances all with this many people tailgating you start to really put into perspective of there's a hundred thousand people plus in this one you know, mile square, right? (laughs) Like it's like literally one square mile and there's a hundred thousand people. And then getting into the stadium and the pregame traditions, which is big in all college football, right? And seeing obviously what that stadium is from my perspective as Beaver Stadium and just being able to understand. It was the first time and then you see the years that they've won, you know, national championships, Big Ten championships, everything like that. It was the first time that I fully understood what tradition meant and what tradition right. meant as a fan. And that had me, like you said, it's a drug. That had me hooked at 12 o'clock, which everybody knows now. Like now I can know a 12 o'clock game is literally the least of like the energy right. in, in the building. Right. And like I felt like I was at – you know, the college football playoff in a home game. That's how I felt as like it, like just somebody there. And then obviously now I've been to the whiteout and everything like that. So what was that experience like walking into, into the stadium? And did you have a similar, like, Oh my God, this is, this is real. And this is, I get it now. Well, okay. So it was pretty cool because obviously, like I said, we we all flew down after work on Friday. Um, so we met. We all landed at the same time, which worked out perfectly. But um, no one cares about the logistics. But what was cool was we entered in like the cover of night, right? So like it's pitch black and we're on these back roads. Um, we had stopped for dinner and we're going. We stayed just outside of Athensville, just across the Ockney River um, in Watkinsville. So we get to where we were staying at like 1130 and – 
college game day is going to be there. Because like you said, this is one versus three. This is the most anticipated game of the year until next week, right, when Ohio State-Michigan plays. It's probably the second most anticipated game of the year. Um, or Georgia would be the same, whatever. So college game day is there. SEC Nation is going to be there. It's the CBS National game. Gary Danielson, Brad Nessler. It's all eyes like in the college football world were on Athens. So we we got up early and we, we hailed an Uber and we wanted to go check it. We wanted to be there all day. So outside the tailgate, like I did, it wasn't walking in. Did I? Did it hit me? It was. We got dropped off at seven thirty in the morning at Myers Quad where College Game Day is, and like we're all tired. We had just traveled. We got in at you know eleven thirty. We didn't get much sleep. We wake up. We're kind of groggy. None of us have had coffee yet, and we get out of the car, out of the Uber. Right, and I mean, our Uber driver, great job. Shout out Ray, he's from uh, Dallas natives. Uh, he's been, then he moved to Atlanta. Uh, he's an Uber driver, nice, great guy. Anyway, so he he drops us off right at Buyer's Quad, like right in the heart of it, you know. And like, there's the ch- you know the cheerleaders are all getting ready to go to game day on the corner, and like we're rolling through town, and we get out, and like as soon as we step out of the car, Seven Nation Army is just blasting, and it was just like. Like we were transformed into this like place. Like again, it was like make believe land. Because being up here and being a Georgia fan, I'm not surrounded by like I don't know any Georgia fans, right? Like I know Chase, um, who's become a Georgia fan with me and and ridden the highs and lows with me. Uh, our catcher at Goldie Beacom's girlfriend happened to be a Georgia fan. So like once in a while, when like I would see her after a game, like a fall game, I would like say something to her, ask her for a score if it was a Saturday. Like, and that's it. I've never been around Georgia fans like in my entire life. So like now all of a sudden, like I get out of this Uber at seven fifteen in the morning at Myers Quad on the campus of the University of Georgia, right there, right there, and like I'm in it. Like I am in it and it's all red and black and it's all Georgia, everything. And it was just like that. It hit me right then and there. Yes. It was just like, yeah. I was, I was basically, my jaw was scraping across the floor for the entire weekend. Cause I was like, I don't want to, I never want to leave. I think I said that within 15 minutes of being there. I was like, I never want to leave. Like there I am. People are handing out game day signs. Um, you know, the, the people for ESPN are handing out the poster board and markers so you can make a sign if you wanted. The place is already packed with students up to the stage. They got their signs. There's people tailgating in the backside of it. There was room for us to walk through there. We could see the stage. We could see them getting ready. Um, and so we're just like kind of hanging out and like just kind of like getting our bearings. Because again, like we, it was just like <laughs> we came from across the Ocony where it was like everybody, no one was awake yet on their Saturday morning or they were getting ready to come tailgate and everything. And and then we just get dropped on the middle of campus. And then uh, – so we were like, all right, let's go get some coffee and walk around campus. And, and like, just immediately, just, like, I'm just in it. And I'm just like, this is so cool. This is what I've been waiting to do for forever. And I've never been around this many Georgia fans before. I've sat at home and, like, read about to the tailgates and college game day being at Myers Quad. And I've watched game day be there twice last year, back-to-back weeks, actually, um, Arkansas and – I don't know, whoever they played the week after Arkansas. I think both weeks they were there. Um, and it might be Kentucky. And it was just like, now um, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing this. And, like, we walk and we go to the student center. to Because I'm also, like, a, the thing about me is I love college. And I love going and seeing different colleges. Because to me, college was my favorite time I've ever had. And um, I just love the whole experience and, and everything about college. So, like, I, I love seeing 
one of my favorite parts about being a college baseball player and luckily playing for at a school where we went to other campuses was going and seeing those campuses. And like the weekend before I went to Elon and I loved like going around and seeing what their student center looks like. What's their D hall look like? What's their game day environment like? And I love doing that at all these different schools. So like I wanted to do that as well. And, you know, I did it at Penn state a little bit last year. And so like that we're walking around campus and I'm just like, we go to the student center and go to the Starbucks, which is filled with kids who are just hung over. Right? <laughs> like just hurting the night before ready to yeah. just like get it going again. They need their, they need their, you know, their nitro cold brew to get going. And, uh, you know, so we get a coffee and then we go to the bookstore, which is just like, if you, if you spend, you know, 90% of my college experiences are at small schools, right? Division two schools, you know, whether it was playing at Shepherd, coaching at Goldie, whatever, like I'm, I'm recruiting at all these small schools, like going out to these small schools, these campuses to recruit, like even Elon, like smaller school. And so I walk into a bookstore <laughs> at the university of Georgia. It's basically like a Macy's. Like it's yeah. a, it's a maze. There it's are huge. no books to be seen. First off, maybe on the second floor, but like it's like the whole. It's just Georgia apparel in any like their logos embroidered on anything you can think. Of. You want a bathing suit with Georgia on it? You got it. You want a a, a, a Hawaiian shirt? You got it. You want a grandma sweater? You got it. You want a Georgia ugly Christmas sweater? You got it. You want uh, women's capris with the Georgia G on it? You got it. Golf pants. It was just like hysterical. Me and Chase were just like, this is unbelievable. Because again, never being around that area and like growing up up here, like I've had to order everything online to get anything. I've never yeah. walked into a store where there's Georgia gear before. I've had to yeah. walk into So like now I'm standing amongst just like rows and rows of just like Georgia stuff everywhere. And it's sick. And then I'll, I'll stop this mini rant here for a second. But like we walk out of the bookstore with our coffee and everything and um, – Matt Trait, friend of the program, um, terrific hitting coach who came with me, took your ticket, um, came with us. He wanted to get himself a Georgia shirt so he, he fit in, um, which I appreciate. He was a great sport. He's not a Georgia fan, but you would have thought he was a diehard that day. Uh, he does was, everything. Which it's hard he does, he does everything hard. at a, bill, a million miles per hour. Like that's and he does, so and that's what makes him so special. He's just – He's incredible, and but and honestly, it's kind of hard not. I don't know how anyone would go to that environment and not be uh, all in because again, it is like nope, a drug. Like you're hooked, especially if you like sports. You are. So then you walk out and like you walk up like a couple steps, and then like right there is the bridge behind Sanford. So all of a sudden, I'm standing. We're standing at Sanford Stadium, and like just the calm before the storm, and all these people are like, everyone's converging to tailgate on Athens, and here's Sanford, and like this is where it's going to take place. And so we got to see that, and it was like you know eight o'clock in the morning, and it was it was sick sick yeah so it's you you talk about how it it's different in like a college town and that's what makes you know i'm reading a book right now that was written in 2013 um it's called fourth and long by john bacon it's a really good book um follows actually penn state after the scandal and like some some deeper stuff follows ohio state after their scandal michigan a year when brady hoke was there who my dad met in a bar in key west just weird story there um, after he got fired. Where's Brady Hoke coaching right now? Real quick. Brady Hoke's coaching San Diego somewhere State. weird. Thank San you, Diego San Diego State. State. Where, it's where, where he came from where before, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. And um, also a little bit in Northwestern. And, you know, he – John Bacon did a really good job with this book, and he writes a lot of times about, you know, looking at it from college football's perspective now, and really you could talk about college sports perspective, but – college football and people talking about how 
this was still the BCS time, how there's going to be a time when players refuse to play because they don't get paid. Um, talking about how they don't really care about national, like a Michigan fan saying, I don't really care about a national championship, but I'm going to be really happy if we beat Michigan State tomorrow by three. And the regional right. rivalries and what that means to those people in that town. And, you know, it does scare me a little bit because I love college football. And you read that with a little bit of perspective. And he sits there and he says, you know, the more professionalized you make the sport, the more you lose those those types of people that genuinely just care. And obviously we're trending in the opposite direction of what those people were, what he's talking about. And you're just in those small towns. And I have family friends who my parents actually lived with when they were stationed in Germany who live in Peachtree City, Georgia. Um, and as you found out when you landed in the Atlanta, Atlanta airport, that everybody down there wears that G. And she's a teacher. And she said, so I went down there Labor Day weekend. So the same weekend that Georgia obviously opened with Oregon. And right. on Friday at school, Every single kid is wearing Georgia gear and we're not talking about, and she said, you know, like, and like, I'm sitting here having a conversation and I, and I called you on my way home cause I drove all the way home and I told you about this, this situation because I knew you'd be fired up about it. But like, it's different to those people in that state. It's different to those people in that town. It's different to those people that went to that school, you know, for people from the Northeast who have professional sports teams on every street corner, you don't understand the magnitude of what it is to, to be in that, that situation. But, you know, I'm sitting here with, you know, a family friend or my friend, family's friend, mom. And like, you try to talk to my mom about Penn state football. You try to talk to, you know, I'm sure your mom about Georgia football, no, nothing. And we are sitting here having a a in-depth conversation about college football. And it's just the mother of the household. And that is how normal it is in that area. And when you say it, it's different to these people, it means more to these people. There is 100%, 150% truth in that fact that it just means more to these people. It means more to that state. It means more to that alumni base. And it means so much more. And it was just so fascinating to think of like, what it would be like to live that every weekend, you know, what it would be like to live in an area that just was infatuated with their college football team, with their college on a whole. It's not even just football. could be basketball. These people also, you know, look at Big Ten country. They also show up for wrestling. They also show up for hockey, you know, all these things like that. And, you know, it's intoxicating and it, it really is. It's so cool to kind of be a part of that because Penn State, to a lesser extent, they obviously have the sports teams on the edges of the state. But when you show up in state college, everything's Penn State football. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it really is one of the most, you know, pa- the most impressive pageantries of all of sports experiences I've been to. And I, I'm not sitting here saying I've been to a Super Bowl. I've never been to, you know, XYZ, but you know, it means more. It's different. It 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 is so much more important to win that Saturday. It's so much more important to support your, you know, alma mater to to be an alumni of that school. It's so much more important to be a student at that school. You live vicariously through those students that are still there. And it, it's it's so much fun. And if anybody out there is a college football fan and you haven't been to a, you know, quote unquote big college football game, big college football stadium, it's it's definitely an experience that that you would uh, remember forever. 
Yeah, and I think that that's it, right? Like, I think a big it's it's so much different too than pro sports. Like pro sports for several reasons, where like the players turn over a little bit less, but they're coming on free agent contracts or you're drafting them. But like, also the fans are never really a part of the organization. Like, mm-hmm. I was there and I was one of ninety three thousand seven hundred forty six, whatever the total number was that day, inside that stadium and a ton more outside of it. And how many of them are alumni or students there, right? And they're a part of it. Like when Kirby Smart talks about it all the time, like you, when if you go to school here, if you went to school here, you are a part of our program. Like, and, and right, you walked, you walked. If you went to school there, you walked to class with these people. You were there every Saturday, and yeah. you feel like you were a part of the, the program because it's your school. It is your school. Yeah. That's where you go to school. That is where they went to school. So I think that's also what kind of drives some of it. And again, if you live in that area, like a, a lot of the people do, like if you're a kid growing up in Blackshear, Georgia, you dream of being the quarterback for the University of Georgia. And then you walk on and win a national championship. That Right? Like Stetson Bennett grew up dreaming of being the quarterback of the University of Georgia. And sure, maybe he dreamt of also being the Falcons quarterback. But if he got drafted yeah. by the Chargers, it wouldn't have mattered. But no, he chose to no. walk on at Georgia because that's where he dreamt of going to school. And so it's just it does, it just means more. And to so many people, it probably sounds so stupid. But like you said, until you you go experience that environment one time, it's hard to really wrap your head around it. And as big of a fan as I was of, of Georgia before last weekend, and obviously like a, I'm just a huge fan and consume as much content about the team as I can. Um, you know, following the recruit, my brother always makes fun of me because like, I know what high school kids are recruiting and stuff. It's like, yeah, but Mm -hmm. that's what's the fun about it. That's what's um, the fun. It even changed, like it even heightened even more when I went down there. And even if they had lost that game when I was there, I think I would have still been like such a bigger thing because just being in that environment and like imagining being there every weekend, is just, oh, it's insane. It was so cool. It was such an experience, and I've already looked at the schedule for next year and, and think I have a game picked out. Like I'll be back probably once a year for the rest of my life. Yeah, one hundred percent, and and you should be because I I feel the same way about about Penn State and just trying to get to a game a year. You know, no matter where I live in the country, I right. could live in North Carolina. I could live in State College, Pennsylvania, which that would be a game changer. I would be at every game. But um, I would hope if I was living in State College, Pennsylvania, that I worked for Penn State and I could get on the sideline for every game. That would be ideal in that scenario. But, um, you know, you just it's it's unbelievable. And it's it makes the whole point of people choosing to be there, the recruiting. I I don't know. I like recruiting more. I I was talking to our good friend, friend of the program, Andy Salzman, yesterday, and I said the, the thing I like the most about baseball was recruiting. And player evaluation. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe it's because of my obsession with college football. Um, but recruiting was a lot of fun. You know, you sell your program, you sell what you are, and, and you kind of see that for these college guys. And and it's just like it's so much easier in, in pro football. You know, with the money, and, and I know college football is turning in, in a wrong direction for this. But you know, you look at the Phillies, and, and maybe we can't. Can, this can be our transition back into baseball. But they free agent their way to you know, a world series Series team and in college football, like, like I can tell you from my perspective as a Penn state fan, like you look at this team and it's like 10 and two with a potential to be a potential to be 10 and two potential for a new year, six goal, arguably the best running back 
do well in the country with two guys that are true freshmen, the number one quarterback in the country, Abdul Carter wearing sticks, looking like Micah Parsons, looking oh, like, freak. like LeVar Arrington. Freak. Deny Dennis Sutton just waiting to develop. Another you freak. Start to dream. Yeah, you start to dream yeah. about what the future looks like. It's so much like, – like there's so much more optimism when you have those players that just come in and it, when you, there's so much youth. Whereas in like the NFL, it's like, like if you're – you know, let's just say. Well, the Cleveland second you Browns have to pay fan. your quarterback, the second you have to pay your quarterback in the NFL, your window's closed. Yeah, because, of the salary because you have to pay fifty million dollars to one guy, and you're not going to be able to pay one. anyone else, and your team's going to get worse. Right? Exactly. And it's like, and and to be able to, you know, develop talent. Like, there's so much more player development. There's so much more, you know, nitty gritty behind the scenes. You know, Joey Porter Jr. of a four-star from Pittsburgh who's obviously – yeah, dad played in the NFL. But, like, that guy comes on and he's just like – he's not a – number one cornerback in the in the country type guy that that's at Ohio State, that's at Georgia, that's at Alabama. But then you develop that guy and he's long-armed, long-limbed with speed and he's going to go – you know, potentially be a top two corner drafted, potentially number one corner drafted in the NFL draft this coming year. And it's like you see the development of guys and they're not finished products and you can dream on what they can be. And you can dream on that high school kid, right? That four, that composite four star, that composite five star that's going to be on campus next year. You can dream on what they're going to look like in, in the red and black. And even if they never play, even if they're in another school, Doesn't like matter. it's just yeah. a revolving door. You just got the 2024 class coming down the road. And it's like, it makes the whole, you know, just every part of this, the sum of all of its parts in college football. And, and obviously your experience there, um, just that much better. And, and it's, this- it's it's interesting to to kind of look at, and the sum of all those parts is really like you you summed it up. And like I I find myself conflicted sometimes this season, especially rooting for Georgia because um, the standard has been set after you know going fifteen fourteen and one last year and winning a national championship and like everyone that's like all that matters now. And for yeah. me, it's like no no like if they go ten and two, will I be disappointed? Yes. If they go eleven and one, yes. Like but. Like it's not all about just the like I love college football and I love the fact that like I feel like Georgia will always be there and 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 it's a year over year thing and luckily the situation they're in now with the coach they have where it's like they're building an yeah, evil empire obviously right like it should yeah. always be this so it's like not like it's not national champion it'll never be my fandom will never be national championship or bust and I think that's what you're talking about or what makes it so special. Is because even if like you don't ever want to, you don't want to be in Nebraska situation, obviously ever. And, and don't get me wrong, I want them to win the national championship every year. But like, that's not the end all be all. At the end of the day, it's the sum of all the parts. It's the the lunacy of it all. It's the recruiting. It's the school pride. It's the everyone coming together from all over the state of Georgia to be in Athens on Saturdays. And it's Kirby Smart being ridiculous at his job and like. Losing yeah. a, a record number of draft picks and sitting here and being a shoe in for the college football playoff at you know ten and zero and like ho hum, it's just another year in Athens for Kirby yeah. going back to an, uh, you know his fifth SEC championship in six years and it's just like it's all of that combined into one and uh, the, yeah. we can talk about baseball here for a little bit but the last thing I'll say is like one of the like I obviously like I, I respect Tennessee and a really good team and I was worried the whole time leading up like. Uh, 
this is a, a game that they could very easily lose. You could see it happen. Georgia's had some, you know, they're, they are an extremely young team this year, which what makes what they're doing so much more impressive is the youth, especially on the defensive side of the ball that they're, they're playing with. And so it was like, they could lose this game. And the, the minute I felt most confident is before every show, um, I didn't know this, before every show, Reese Davis addresses the crowd before they go live mm-hmm. on ESPN. And he turned to the crowd and he said, it's so great for, you know, we're so happy to be back in the classic city. What an unbelievable matchup we have today. Number one, Tennessee volunteers and number three, Georgia. And how about Tennessee? How good have they been? What an unbelievable story. Oh, this offense and Josh Heupel in the second year, it's been, you know, they're the darlings of college football. But I think it's about time uh, we remind everyone who the reigning national champions were. And, like, the place, like, just that that group of people, which were probably about 1,500 people, like, the ground was shaking. And I was like, oh, it's over. <laughs> it's yeah. over. Tennessee's walking into a, a trap here. Like, this is – it's not going to go well for them. This, And I yeah. knew it wasn't. And I legitimately – I did not regain my hearing till sometime Sunday night. My left eardrum took a lot of damage. There was a point in the fourth quarter where I looked at Chase and Matt, and I was like, "My le- like, I, f- I feel like my ear is going to start bleeding." It was constantly loud. It was, it was an. Ex- I've never been in a, an environment at a sporting event like that before, ever. Um, just incredible. I can't wait to go back. Yeah, that's it. Thanks for mm-hmm. thanks for giving me a platform to talk about it for forty minutes. Yeah, well, I mean, it is the off season, but I do want to say that uh, um, that we should recap a little bit of the World Series. Yes. Um, we we did not get to sit down and talk. We we wanted to come to you in the middle of that series um, because obviously it was the World Series. It's the most important time of the year on the baseball calendar um, in terms of crowning our champion in the MLB, but. Again, as the last couple weeks have shown, you know, life happens. You were going to Georgia. I was working. We tried to swing it. We couldn't swing it. Um, so we haven't covered anything from what? When they game transition After game Philly? two? Yeah. After game two. So yeah. obviously a lot happened. You already covered in the last episode that the Houston Astros are our champions. And uh, obviously that's not. News to anybody listening to this, at least I hope, unless you're like my my mother or my aunt supporting us, like just trying to get us clicks and subs- subscriptions. So you're just showing out and, and listening to the <laughs> listening to the pod. Well, it, the Houston Astros did in fact win, and you know, obviously a lot happened. I really wanted to, you know, come on here and and talk about how Justin Verlander. It was time to put up or shut up, and I don't even know if I would say he did great. He escaped trouble. He ran it like it wasn't a dominant performance. Um, obviously he's going to be a free agent this year. So we'll, we'll see where he ends up. Um, Christian Javier, man. And, and this will probably be like the, the, the bulk of, of my take on the Houston Astros is you said it. Um, you think from Valdez and Christian Javier are the best pitchers on that team. Yeah. I, I was after the, I mean, I, I said here on the podcast that, Christian Javier is I needed to change the topic because I was going to convince myself that Christian Javier was better than Justin Verlander. I remember saying that at, this, I po- saying, at this point, I think he I might think, be though. Remember That's before the series, I said, yes. I said, I was like, I think 
I think, I think, and yeah. I, I didn't do it, and I couldn't this, bring myself. But wouldn't to you do say it. at this point where Verlander is and where in their careers, I think, I th- this, yeah, today, I, and yeah, yeah, I, I 100% think that not. Not that this was Christian Javier's coming out party. The 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 game he had in July when he took a no hitter when the when the Yankees got no hit by the Astros in a game started by Christian Javier, and then he pitched obviously a dominant performance against the Yankees in the ALCS. He was historically great throughout the playoffs, and then he goes and twirls another you know no hit outing. And I think what the most impressive thing is about that outing. And again, this is where I'd love to hear your opinion on it. And obviously, we're not as fresh out of it. He wasn't that. His stuff wasn't elite of the elite that day. He had 11 swings and misses or 12 swings and misses. It wasn't like the lights out 25 swings and misses that he he is more than capable of. But when he needed to command his fastball, he commanded his fastball. Like he and he got himself in situations where he was in advantage counts and he was able to attack hitters and keep them off balance enough. And then he just located his fastball at, you know, when he needed it the most. And this is a guy who struck out nine batters without his what would be deemed his best stuff. And that's what makes what I think makes him so good is that his floor is still dominance because his stuff is that good. When he doesn't have his crispest stuff, he can still go out there and dominate in a World Series game against a really good lineup. So, you know, that was probably the most impressive thing from my standpoint is I didn't think that was his most dominant outing, and he still went six no-hit innings. Yeah, and I think that uh, it wasn't his most dominant, sure, but I think sometimes guys like Christian Javier can deceive you in that sense. When your elite pitches your fastball like that, and it's elite in not a way that is necessarily easy to see because it's not 98-99, right? When guys have an elite fastball and it's 98-99 with the ride, right? Then it's easy to see and you can tell like, oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. But when he just is able to hold the plane and be so funky with his delivery, right? Because he gets super high with the, you know, he, he's short and high on the front side and then he's like kind of long and, and almost a little bit lower on the back side. And it's, so it's like weird. And then it just holds plane. And it's, it's only 96, which we're so used to, you know, we're so trained to see that every day that it almost doesn't feel like it's elite stuff, but it is like, it is like that is filthy stuff. Like it's just always filthy. And yes. And I think the most impressive thing to me with that performance, which I mentioned um, last week was that he was just in the zone and he wasn't, it was like, it was just one of those outings where it was like, I'm just, it was Lance Linnish from 2021, right? In the regular season when Lance Lynn would just go out there and that's how he always That's how Javier always is. is yeah, like, Lance, Lance. Just come get it. Right, right. Exactly. And remember Lance Lynn threw like 102 pitches, the one the one yeah. start in 2021, and 98 were fastballs or something like that. And that's what Javier can do, and that's what made it so impressive. And it was in the zone. Like you said, it was commanding the fastball in the zone. It was like, yeah, he only had 12 swings and misses, but sometimes that's effective when you're locating it well and you're never giving up a free base. Yeah. Like you just, just boom, 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 boom at all times, and you're never, yeah. you're never in advantage counts. Yeah, now, I mean, it was, and, and, it was impressive, and that's where I think with um, when I look at you know his dominant outing, like you look back at the outing against the the Yankees in July, and like 
he everything was like you talk about dominance it was like swing and miss on everything he threw it was just pure it was the fastball like guys swinging at fastballs at their chin which that's how you know how deceptive it is everything like that and it's like he wasn't that against the Phillies now he was sharp he was really good but when it's 45 degrees at nighttime in Philadelphia in, in early November late October it's hard to be as crisp as you were in New York in the summer when you're probably fresher but it's just that's what aces do right like that is what top of the line starting pitchers do is when they don't feel comfortable they don't feel great you still walk away and go dang that was pretty darn good and that's what Christian Javier offers that's why the Houston Astros they don't need Justin Verlander back they really don't. They, they could use him. I'm sure they wouldn't hate to have him back. But it'll be interesting to see how they handle that off this offseason because if somebody starts throwing $30 million around for Justin Verlander, you know, I know he had a great year. I know he's coming up. He looks, you know, his velo is still there. His his stuff still looks to be there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, see how the Houston Astros handle his free agency because they're not, again, they like Garrett Cole walk when he was, you know, 10 years younger, whatever it would be. Yeah, ten roughly ten years younger than what yeah. Justin Verlander is, and I know Justin Verlander is not going to sign for seven years. But you're talking about a guy who, if he's going to d- command, you know, thirty million plus, when you can, when you trust that you have Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia, Lance McCullers, and if you think you got a gem in Hunter Brown, which mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that think he is, he grew up in watching Justin Verlander. He's basically looks like Justin Verlander. If you think you have this budding superstar, you're going to take the guy and say, Hey, JV, thanks for all you did, but you know, we're going to move on without you. And we're, you know, we're not going to miss a beat. So, you know, it sounds like the Yankees are in on Justin Verlander. (laughs) Like, you know, is is it going to be another scenario where the, the Houston Astros just let a pitcher that a lot of people deem a top in the, in the MLB just leave and he ends up with the Yankees, and they end up with looking like the smarter side of it. It'll be interesting to see. I, can we not talk about the Yankees until like after Christmas, no. please, That's, please? I just saw I just saw that today that please. Justin Berliner was looking like it was uh, the Yankees sure. had some interest. Sure. In and, and same with and Degrom maybe. and Correa and Bogarts and Turner and Judge. Can't forget him and uh, Carlos Rodon and um, anyone else a free agent this year. Brandon Nimmo could be you a know, Yankee, and so could um, you potentially be a Yankee. You never know. Um, hey, anyone else? Know, I'll let my agent do Yankees, that. There's a Yankees Twitter page tweeting about you if you are alive and breathing and have ever touched a baseball, my, saying that they could my, be after my you, so. agent. My agent takes care of all that. That for me, we're so going to hold off. Yeah, I haven't gotten any calls, unfortunately. I haven't gotten any calls personally from. From well, a, I, from just cash. my point being that I, I'm good on the Yankees till after Christmas. My thing with Verlander though is it's not even one of those situations where it's like the Astros are again out foxing everyone. Like I don't know how committed I would be to a going on 40 year old starting pitcher, and I know he had a great year no. this year, but I think there were some underlying numbers that would kind of give you hesitation if you dug deep and. I think it's yeah. just at this point that, if anything, uh, to me, a, a reunion, a short-term reunion with the Astros and, and 
them walking away is probably, you know, one or two years. And then that being it is probably the most realistic thing that happens. Now, if someone does a Steve Cohen, and maybe even it's Steve Cohen, with, like what he did with Scherzer, where it's just like, here's a ton of money for a short-term contract. Maybe Verlander wants it, but Verlander's made plenty of money. I don't think he's even looking for something like that. I don't think money's going to be a driving factor unless you truly blow away him. It's not like this his is wife his doesn't first have time money. in free agency. Sure, but it's also but Verlander's made plenty of money. He signed the contract I, I, extension. It's not, it's not like his thing, wife doesn't I, have money. Yeah, it's not a money thing, but there has to be a little bit of like an e- like I need an ego fluff. You know what I'm saying? He seems I, like an ego. Is guy. there though? He, I mean, after he just it, won his, he's won a suit. But you have people calling calling you, telling that they want you want to pay sure. a lot of money to come be the face of their franchise. I'm sure that I feel like that's half the allure of free agency for some guys is to feel like they're they're almost validated. No doubt. You know, like the work no they put in is validated. Um, so who knows? I mean, it'll it'll be it'll be an interesting offseason. It's a really good free agent crop. You know, it's a ton of guys are are free agent. It looks like the Rangers are going to be aggressive again on the pitching side of things. Um, they need it again. We, we don't, we, the, the way, if this was the, if this was an NBA podcast, we'd have, or an NFL podcast, we'd have to cover free agency today. Cause if it opened right, on Friday, cool. it'd be over by Sunday, which is, which is really cool. And the MLB continues to miss the, miss the boat on this and, and continues to allow free agency to just drag on and, and you lose all interest in baseball in, in, in that time frame, But you know, it is a good free agent class that should should attract a lot of headlines and, and definitely give us something to talk about all off season. I mean, um, there's definitely going to be a lot of news. Can I real quick? Um, kind of the one, the biggest piece of news to me, um, which broke over the weekend, was um, James Click and your uncle Scott Powers being out with the Astros. Obviously, James Click, the general manager, Scott Powers, who's not actually your uncle. Um, the assistant general manager, um, both gone from Houston. I'm, I kind of don't understand this. From from what side are you saying? From the Houston Astros side, you any, don't understand any at all. Usually, when you're when like right when we see professional sports and like any company in general, right when you when you achieve the peak success of your field, it's rare to see a separation happen in front offices, right? Usually it's the opposite. Usually these guys are getting extended. So from yeah, because I understand almost. that you know Scott Powers gets fired and he was Click's guy, but the Click thing seems like it was mutual, which is weird to me. You just he, won a World Series, you would think that they were operating on the same page. So they only offered him a one year contract, and he didn't like that. That was that was what right, I but, read. Is so, well, so why only a one year deal? That so that's where I, that's why I was asking. From what end are 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 you yeah. asking? You know, from clicks, and I agree. I think there's going to be an MLB organization that's going to give him the the security that he needs. You know, I think that's a guy who, sure, whether you don't want, whether you want to say, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'll be honest with you, like, like we don't have to get into the depths of the cheating scandal, but if I'm looking at the ownership of the Astros, like they'll get rid of me quicker than they, they like they'll, right. they'll throw me under the bus quicker than anybody, whether I win or whether I you know, do everything the right. The second one thing goes wrong, that owner is going to, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but he's going to push me to the MLB investigators as the problem the second I get it. So I would want some security too um, in that standpoint of being like, hey, dude, like I just won you a World Series. You know, 2017 is no longer a quote unquote fluke. Um, you know, everything that, that comes with that. So I think from his standpoint, I, I don't mind what he did from the Houston Astros standpoint. I don't know. Is 
there a little bit of arrogancy in the fact of like, hey, we got 15 people that could take your job and do the same thing because it's the process of the Houston Astros that what is why we win, not because of you? Maybe. Are, are they right? Possibly. Are they right? But that that is not a risk I'd be worth willing to take. I know from the Washington Capitals let um, – what was his name? He's now the coach of the Islanders after he won uh, the Stanley Cup Barry with Trotz. the Capitals. Barry Trotz. Yep, correct. And that was a decision that they made in February, March of a bad year. They were having a down year. They turned it around, got hot in the playoffs, and they mutually agreed to to go separate ways because they couldn't iron out a contract. They you know, and it was just something that they decided before the World Series. I don't think the Houston Astros went into something like that, um, where it was kind of like this was a failed experiment with James Click. Obviously, he's he's done a really good job with that organization. So it, I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit. Of, I think it's just arrogancy on both sides. I mean, one year contracts aren't the end of the world in, in front office life of baseball, but I guess when you're a general manager, you want a little bit security. But all, pretty much all scouts, all player development people, everything from that nature works on a works on a one year deal every year. So it's not it's not out of the realm of imagination for a guy to to kind of be like, you know, hey, sign a one year deal. Let's see where it is. This is a fascinating situation, and Jim Crane's the name you're looking for, owner of the Astros. But I'm also like, to me, it's just fascinating because I mean, you, I'm sure the Astros have someone up their sleeve that will um, take over and probably be towards the top of all front office executives in the league. Um, and it'll be interesting yeah. to see where James Click goes to me too, because he was talking about a guy who wasn't previously a baseball guy. Does he stay in it? Does he like this? Or does he, is he just disappear and you never heard from again? Um, that'll be kind of fascinating to, to me as well. Um, as far as free agency goes, I, I don't want to get into this too much just because we, like you said, it drags on for months, which Major League Baseball doing that is killer. But um, is there a, a, a player or a situation that will fascinate you the most or that you're kind of like looking towards at all? Yeah, I think the DeGrom situation is probably the, the number one for me um, because I'm, I'm really first off, I'm fascinated about what, you know, he might command, what he might get, what he deserves. I mean, what I pay, like, I, I, I don't know because what I might say right now might be egregious. What I might say right now might make sense. I don't know. Is he worth three years, 150 million? Is he? It, like it, that is a genuine Ooh. question of is he? You know what I'm saying? Because if it's Max Scherzer's getting three there. years. Yeah. like it, But like when you talk about the contract that you give to a 34-year-old starting pitcher who's still – great who doesn't have a ton of mileage on his arm i know he has had some health problems recently but i'll be interested to see if anybody is willing to just expand that scherzer number and just keep it going higher just keep it going and and just see like hey if we can get this guy to really be an impact talent for us when it matters the most he's probably worth 40 50 million if he can just be the Jacob DeGrom that he's been for for the past couple of years and if he stays healthy. Now, obviously, the health standpoint is is a major factor in that. You don't want to pay a guy – you don't want to pay a guy $20 million for, for him to 
you know, not play, let alone 50 million. That's when you are really feel like you're wasting your money. Um, I'll also be interested to see Carlos Rodon. How much did his successful season really last two seasons? How much does that parlay him into? Is it a Robbie Ray situation? Is it a Patrick Corbin situation? Or is, are there going to be people that are a little bit weary on, you know, not having the long term track record of his? Or are there going to be people, you know, most likely buying into what his success is and feeling like they can continue to build off of, of that? And, you know, I think those are going to be two guys that could potentially you know, swing the market and, and put change teams. You know, if Carlos Rodon's for real in the advancements that he's made, the improvements that he's made, you're talking about a guy that changes the complete complexion of any pitching staff, you know, and, and just lengthens it out and gives a guy, you know, a team of true number one, you know, if, if he, again, if he's the guy that, that he was in San Fran, if he's a guy that he was in, in Chicago in that last year, and if he's, his improvements are really legit. So really the top of that starting pitcher market is, is very interesting to me. Um, and to see what those numbers and what those contracts are going to look like. Yeah. And I think that to me that the DeGrom one's fascinating too, because it's, it was a little bit surprising to me. I just thought DeGrom would always be a met. Now you're getting reports of he'd be interested in going to Texas and pitching for the Rangers. You never know this time of year. It's all rumors. And like I said last episode, if it's John Heyman reporting it, don't believe it. So, um, but you know, so you, it'll be interesting to see there. Is, is Boris just, is Boris his agent? It's got to be, right? Whoever his agent is, if he's just trying to command money, um, it, it'll be interesting to see to see what happens with him. And then for me, Correa is kind of a fascinating one that I'm going to be interested in seeing. Cause last year was clearly like, okay, this market isn't what we thought it was going to be for my services. So I'm going to go to Minnesota. I'm going to sign the short deal with the opt out after one. Everyone knew he was going to opt out after one, right? Like it was kind of the, I was pretty obvious and evident the whole time that he was going to opt out. But, uh, so for, for me, it's, It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Correa. Is he going to end up at a long term spot? Is he going to you know go somewhere where it's like okay, this is it for Correa now. This is his last movement. You know, I've been hearing a lot of rumors of the Cubs, which is interesting to me. You wouldn't think that, but like, where does Correa go? Because the market for Turner is going to be huge. The market for Bogarts is going to be huge. Both of them could also return to the teams they're at. Correa is the one where it's like he's not going back to Minnesota. Yeah. What what ends up happening with him? So Degrom and Correa for me are the 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 really fascinating ones. Yeah, Correa is a good one because I mean I, I I personally didn't think he had a great year. Um, no, not at all. He had a good year. I know a lot of people say he's a great defender. I think he is a. I think he's just good. You know, and, and there's a lot, especially at the shortstop position, man, there's a lot of value in a guy that's just good, that picks it, strong arm, plays, you know, can hit for power, can flash as a superstar occasionally and, and just kind of be, you know, an impact talent every so often. But I don't know, you know, if you look at his baseball reference page and, and I don't have it off the top of my head, but I, I just know from, for examples that like he's never been like, Godlike, I guess, is the best way to say it. To to, I feel like his persona almost outweighs his his actual on field production, and that doesn't mean he hasn't been a good player. Um, but that doesn't mean he's been a 
you know, an elite player. That doesn't mean he deserves elite player money. That doesn't mean he deserves elite attention. You know, I think Xander Bogarts and Trey Turner are both guys that do things at an elite rate. Like Trey Turner has been, you know, one of the best contact hitters, average hitters in the MLB over the last couple, you know, really calendar years. He's been competing for a batting title and it's not like he's light with the power department. I know his power numbers are a little bit down, um, but Xander Bogarts is kind of a similar hitter, big doubles guy. If you can kind of continue to get him to grow and, and develop a little bit more power, I think there's definitely... There's definitely other guys that I'd be willing to pay top dollar for, but there are people that absolutely love love what Carlos Correa brings to the table. So uh, I I don't know what what exactly the market's going to look like for him, but it'll be uh, interesting to see what um what he gets and what he ends up um, where he ends up as well. Yeah, you just don't know. It'll be interesting, and it'll be a long process, and we're not going to know for another two months, unfortunately. <laughs> or maybe yeah. a spring training over. Seriously. So, yeah, fun. seriously. So, yeah, exactly. As as the baseball offseason goes at a snail's pace. Um, you know, I do – before we before we close out here, I do – I know you kind of mentioned a little bit about what we're going to kind of cover and, and try to do in the offseason. Um, and – because the baseball off season is a snail's pace and it is what it is. Um, but you know, we are going to try to have some guests on and, you know, hopefully continue to make it interesting and talk enough about baseball that to keep our baseball listeners, our baseball fans interested and cover the, the MLB from that standpoint, um, and make sure we're, we're active and, and following it. Um, we definitely are going to try to get out on here once a week. Uh, I would say, I think it's going to be the, the goal from our perspective is, is once a week, get some guests on here, you know, whether it be former friend of the pod uh, interview getting that we both probably haven't talked to in a while in our good friend, Colin Palouse, um, and, uh, seeing where it goes. So, um, if anybody, we, we would love to answer questions, um, do some mailbag stuff and, and just interact with it, with what you guys want to hear, um, as well. So it, it'll be a fun off season. And then who knows next thing, you know, we're going to be on a plane to Phoenix covering, uh, the, uh, world baseball classic live for team USA for the back. Don't podcast. do it. Don't do it. Don't do that. I mean, book us some flights, dude. Seriously, I'd be in. I'd be yeah, in. but excited for what the uh, postseason might hold. Hope everybody uh, continues to listen and continues to enjoy, even as we go through the dead of winter here, and uh, we'll get ready for uh, spring training in February. Yep, definitely, definitely. We'll make sure everybody likes, shares, and subscribes. Share with five friends. That's that's the best way for us to continue to grow this podcast. Uh, I know we have a couple five star reviews on Apple Pod, so um, you know keep them coming, keep, keep them coming to all our our loyal listeners out there that uh, have given us five star reviews. And you know we are doing YouTube live streams, so for anybody out there who wants to actually interact with us on on live and and throw a comment in the section or something like that, uh, we can. Uh, we could set that up. We'll be trying to go live every Monday, Monday night, um, around seven thirty. So this will be coming into your ears on Tuesday, and um, that's pretty much it. Dan, you got any last thoughts? Cover closing out this pod. No, 
it's fun. Can't wait. Look forward to continuing to, to roll here through the off season. Go dogs. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we'll be uh, talking to you guys next week.